Now to our first story on the program today. And did you know that dementia is three to five times higher in the Indigenous community compared to that of the rest of the population? And to discuss this and more, I spoke with Rosalind Malay and Dina Lodge-Dici, and we caught up to Yarn about their project. It's called Let's Chat Community Health, and it's an approach to dementia in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Coming up in just a moment, you'll first meet Dina, and shortly after that, you'll also hear from Rosalind Malay, both women working really hard in community to help those suffering from dementia. Visit sbs.com.au slash radio. My name is Dina Lodjudice. I'm a geriatrician based in Melbourne um, and also at the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service, um, but more also the research lead on the project called the Let's Chat Dementia Project um, that's um, looking, that's um, funded by NHMRC. Now, do tell me more. I'm really interested to learn more about what exactly is the Let's Chat community health approach to dementia in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, Dina? um, So the Let's Chat came about because we, um, previous research by by, uh, many people um, in Australia has shown that um, the rate of dementia in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities is higher than um, we would have expected. Um, and so with that, um, we really wanted to um, try and address that issue. So um, looking at um, uh, risk factors, um, uh, so diminishing the risk of um, onset of dementia, but also um, to make sure that we can um, manage people who, who start showing signs of dementia. Um, so we thought the best way to do that was to work with um, Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Services. So with this project, we've partnered with 12 ACHOs um, across the nation um, to look at producing a best practice model for primary care health professionals um, who are looking after older people who are either at risk of developing dementia or um, living with dementia. Are dementia rates higher for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people compared to that of non-Indigenous people, Dina? Yes, yes, they are. They're up to... It's thought that they're three to five times higher than uh, the rest of the population. Um, We're not really sure why that is the case, but we do know that... um, when we look at risk factors for dementia in general, um, things like um, uh, heart disease, diabetes, um, issues that occur um, early on in life um, uh, and um, head injury and various other things that we um, we think that they're, because there's high rates of these conditions that that's why it's um, affecting um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander populations in a, in a greater degree. And so as part of this project, we understand that the life course approach is really important to tackling dementia. And that's why we're working with primary healthcare services, because we know that they look after 
people from, you know, children all the way to older people. Um, and so our focus really is trying to build strong brain, you know, healthy uh or promoting healthy brain mm. early in life and protecting and strengthening it, um, um, brain function, I guess, as we move through life. And I understand this program was actually developed in consultation with cultural and clinical experts as well. Absolutely. So one of the first things we realised is that there are guides for um people with dementia in primary care generally, but it really didn't focus on the cultural aspect of things and so we thought that that was really important. So we developed our own best practice guide um, um, using um, uh, looking at best evidence, uh, best practice evidence, but also working with communities, um, um, looking at the cultural context, um, speaking with uh, Aboriginal health workers and health professionals um, and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander academics as well and, and service providers to ensure that we uh, that the, the model of care was tailored to be culturally safe and align with um, the community understandings of health and well-being. And so from that, we were actually... Uh, so we've got this best practice guide that's been endorsed by um, uh, Nacho but also is a, an accepted clinical resource by the College of GPs in Australia. Um, and so we hope that that information can be used by health services throughout or primary health care services throughout Australia um, to um, ensure that they're um, able to um, provide the best practice um, model of care for their patients throughout their life course. And let's talk about best practice when it comes to individuals or family members. How can we inform uh, ourselves properly to better look after our loved ones who may be suffering from dementia? Yeah, so I guess the first thing is um, being aware of that dementia is common. Um, and that it um, that there's lots of things that can be done when someone is um, living with dementia. Um, but I guess the first and most important thing to do is to make sure that um, the person with the memory or thinking problems has a really um, comprehensive um, medical and um, sort of a holistic. Uh, assessment to ensure that um, that is the problem and that there aren't any other reversible factors. So for instance, we know that um, people who have depression can have cognitive, you know, might look like they have cognitive impairment or um, various medications can also cause um, uh, confusion and memory thinking. So the, the most important thing is if uh, a person is worried about their memory and thinking or a family member is concerned is that they speak to the, um, their health service or their health practitioner to really um, talk about this issue and um, make sure that um, an appropriate assessment is done. We know that people, you know, obviously worried, you know, about a diagnosis of dementia, but we're trying to um, diminish the stigma around it because it is common and there are lots of things that can be done. 
to help the person and their carers as well. But the first thing is to make sure that, you know, um, that they've had a, a good assessment um, to make sure that that is the problem at the time. Um, I think the uh, important thing is that there are um, lots of services and um, supports that are available for people um, and once they have a diagnosis of dementia. But the other important thing is really that there are lots of things that we can do to ensure a healthy brain throughout the life course. So really speaking to your um, primary health care service to um, look after your heart, stop smoking, um, make sure you exercise, all those things that we know are good for your health generally are also good for your um, brain health as well. So really just to think about that and understand that there are lots of things that we can do to delay um, the onset of dementia. Dina, thank you so much for joining us on NITV Radio today. It's been an absolute pleasure having a yarn with you about dementia uh, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Thank you so much. Thank you. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Hello, everyone. My name is Rosalind Malang. I'm a Yuri Angamdam Gidea woman from the Kimberley region of Western Australia. I have been working as a researcher for the University of WA, Centre for Health and Aging, for 10 years now, and more recently with Uni Melbourne on the Let's Chat Dementia Project. Um, and I would, I'd, I'd, um, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respect to the Yaru people, to the elders past, present and emerging where I live and work, and also acknowledge the stolen members of the stolen generation past and present and to their families. Now, as you've just mentioned there, you've been working in this field, uh, working with Indigenous people and dementia for many years now. How did you first start this work, please? Well, this was, um, I don't know, it just came by chance, I guess. I mean, I wasn't, just before I was offered this um, position, I, I was in, you know, I, I had a loss in the family, a very close loss, you know, my eldest grandson. He, you know, um, he was in a car accident and he's only six years old. And then, yeah, about 12 months later or maybe 11 months later, I was, you know, there was a lady who was working with um, UWA and was looking for someone to assist her and the communities to do assessment on um, older Aboriginal people. And I must say why I'm saying older, because there's not many, um, we don't have, Torres Strait Islander people living in the Kimberley region, not many, you know, that's in, in, the, in these remote communities. Um, but, um, yeah, so uh, I was offered the position to think I had no idea, I had not, no idea what research was all about um, until, yeah, until I got this job. And and I, as I went along, you know, as, as we went along with doing all this assessment, I uh, started to realize how important um, this research is in regards to my people, you know, um, as to my older people um, with, the, um, with memory and, and, and thinking problem. And um, I, I'm, I'm very passionate about the elders, our elders in the, in the, in the Kimberley region, especially in these very remote areas where there's, there's lack of services. 
and and this is how yeah I I um I started um you know the more I I learned about dementia the more I was you know really putting myself out there and 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 um providing support wherever I, I can like you know I'm doing workshops in um in in health services um talking up the um talking about dementia and um and you know the awareness of dementia in the community because as you might know yourself as an Aboriginal person that um dementia is not something that a lot of our older Aboriginal people is you know know about much. Um it's rather seen in the community that it's um it's a cultural payback um with you know because of something that they might have done when they were young um also um there's also um lack of resources and services about dementia in these communities and um and when do when when family members do um have these memory and thinking issues um or problems um it's very hard for them to leave country you know because they'd rather stay on country rather than go into an, a home and be forgotten pretty much because that's how they look at it when they have to go to a home you know aged care facility away from country and that must be really hard for our aunties and uncles to leave their aboriginal community in a remote or regional area and go to a whole new place and it's hard for yes. their families as well eh that's that's so true. Um, it is very hard, you know, and some some family members won't even, you know, um, won't even recognise or won't even accept that their loved one has dementia because of that reason, you know, um, going being sent away. And family members that don't have transport to be able to go into town or you know to these aged care facilities to visit their loved ones is, you know, very 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 hard, you know, and yeah, it's just. It just gets frustrating for them, and you know, as you know, the older people really misses, misses, miss being back on country. You mentioned a little bit earlier about cultural payback when it comes to uh, memory and thinking problems or dementia, if you like. So, what are the differences when it comes to dementia between Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people culturally? Culturally, well, because, like I said, it's it's um, culture, and Aboriginal people look at it as a as a payback. Whereas they don't look at it as a brain disease in in many in many communities, um, um, and also with 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 non-indigenous people, our people get it at a younger age. We're three to five times higher. So you know because of um, uh, I don't know it's, it's our lack of um, our lifestyle. You know with, with um, how how we live, how our diet, you know, which is very poor. It's pretty much similar to you know having a heart 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 disease or, or being diabetic. And what can we do as family members of someone who's suffering from dementia? What can we do just to be there and support them? I think just to have a good understanding about what dementia is really about, and you know the frustration that I hear from a lot of family members saying, "Well, we don't know what to do when you know we don't know what what's going on into their in, in around in their head or their brain." You know. We've, we're finding it very hard to understand them. I think more education and training, more workshops needs to be done, more awareness, and it's not just the family and that person who has dementia, but I think it, it, it should be the whole community being involved with 
you know, about dementia and that about that certain family member. Well, no, I just just like to say that you know we we've um, we've done some we've we've been make we made made some videos which was really good I think which is I think will will benefit our, our people especially in the health services you know because with the workshop that we do around dementia and cognitive impairment um, you know a lot of the um, health workers you know feedback was um, um, that they were. They weren't. Um, uh, what's the word for it? They they weren't um, confident enough in asking people when they go into to get a checkup about how they're going with their memory and thinking. You know, so you know, we decided to make some videos, which I think it's going to be very helpful for a lot of health services and and Aboriginal health workers to um, to be able to um, address the address the awareness about dementia. Ros, thanks for your time today here on NITV Radio. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And in case you missed the news earlier, the National Indigenous Television Network, NITV, has won its very first Logie for the SBS co-produced documentary, Incarceration Nation, which is about the oppression of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the justice system. And now to our next story on the day of the day right here on NITV Radio with me. I'm Kerry Lee Harding. Good to be with you on this Monday afternoon. And the Federation of Ethnic Communities Councils of Australia, or FECA as they're also known, they had their conference in Melbourne last week and it was a great opportunity for us mob at NITV Radio to go along and get some interviews from people in the community and from, from people who really matter in the Indigenous space. First up, I caught up with Adam Bant, the leader of the Greens, and my interview with him is coming up in just a moment. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. I'm Adam Bant. I'm the leader of the Greens. A very powerful speech you delivered in there for FECA today. Such an important conference, isn't it? Look, it really is. Um, one of the you hear from politicians saying a lot that Australia is a really successful multicultural society, and that is really true. But one of the things I know as being a local member is that the reason that that is the case is because of the the work that is done on the ground by so many people that don't always get recognised for it. And I think seeing them all here together is um, is a really really good way of us as politicians reflecting back and saying thanks, like we acknowledge the work that is being done. Um, but also acknowledging that we as politicians have got to do a bit better as well on the whole. And um, we can't claim to be a successful multicultural society when politicians are out trying to um, use hate to win votes and divide people. And that, I think, needs to be called out. And also very important to you is truth-telling for First Nations people of this country, Adam. Yeah, so we've got a... Um, we've got two out of uh, our party room, Senator Lydia Thorpe and Senator Dorinda Cox, um, First Nations women, and uh, Lydia Thorpe is our First Nations spokesperson. And one of the things that we've been really keen on leading a debate on is um, the need to tell the truth and have a process of truth-telling in this country about the violence and dispossession that lies at the heart 
of our country and also then begin that process towards having a treaty or treaties with our First Nations people. Now, um, that process has been kicked off in Victoria, but uh, we need to start seeing progress on it at a national level because, you know, there's, there's a history of violence and dispossession that lies at the heart of this country we call Australia. Politicians don't do a very good job telling the truth about that. And um, the problem is when you don't tell the truth about it, you repeat the injustices. And we're seeing those injustices being repeated every day. And part of what we want to push for in this parliament, where we think we've got a real chance now to make progress towards First Nations justice in this country, is that process of truth-telling um, so that we can take those steps towards having treaties. And you did mention in your speech you want meaningful action taken in the parliament. That's right. Look, there's a number of reforms that would be really, really important. The criminal justice system, for example, is still seeing First Nations people being locked up at disproportionate rates. Um, we have the age of responsibility as low as 10 in some places, criminal responsibility. Now, 10-year-olds shouldn't be being locked up and 10-year-olds um, First Nations children should not be being locked up. And so we need to raise the age of criminal responsibility right across the country. And that's happening in some places at a state level, which is really good. Um, we need to make it a national process, but also we still haven't seen uh, enough progress on the implementation, the recommendations out of the um, Royal Commission into Black Deaths in Custody. We're still seeing First Nations people die in custody. So there's some really significant um, practical reforms as well that we want to see some action on this in this parliament. That's really good to hear. I'm also wondering, what are your thoughts on the Uluru Statement uh, from the heart? Well, the Greens were the first party to back it and we support that statement. Uh, the, uh, the elements of truth, treaty and voice, I think there's an opportunity in this parliament to get progress on all of those things. And um, But the, those elements of it that uh, we want to put on the table and that we think that this parliament can kick off the process was around truth and treaty are important as well. And so um, I think... Uh, under the last government we weren't going to see any progress and I think under this government especially with so many third voices like the Greens and independents getting a say in the new parliament we've got a real chance to make some real progress. You also mentioned in your speech that there's no excuse for race-based hate in our society here in Australia. What meaningful action can you make in the Greens to make that not happen? Well, politicians, too many politicians try and use race to win votes and try and divide society to try and win votes. And um, we've seen that when you know the, the now opposition leader Peter Dutton said that there were African gangs roaming the streets of Melbourne that meant people were unsafe. Like, that caused real hurt here. Um, and also when you see the kind of racism being used against people of um, Chinese background during the pandemic, for example, like that kind of stuff really hurts. I think as parliamentarians, um, at a minimum, parliamentarians could, uh, across the board, we could have anti-racism training in the same way that um, parliamentarians now undergo uh, education and training around gendered violence uh, following all of the terrible, um, uh, everything we found out about what was happening in parliament in the uh, last, last couple of years. So we could do that. But we could also take some moves towards outlawing hate speech in parliament as well. We could pass uh, a multiculturalism act in parliament to start to enshrine some of this as something that should be, I guess, untouchable and shouldn't be the subject of trying to win votes. So they're all things that we'll push for in this parliament. 
And I also understand that you welcome a national anti-racism strategy as well, Adam. Yeah, we've, the Greens have been calling for some time for a national anti-racism strategy. Um, we've got the rise of the far right happening here in Australia and white supremacy and the, uh, that is being played out across the board, played out on First Nations people, played out on people of colour, played out on members of our Jewish community. Um, we need to start calling it what it is and acknowledging that um, in some respects, in some areas, uh, racism and the far right are, are strong, if not on the rise in this country, and we need to name it, right? And we need a strategy to start to stamp that out. Um, but we also need a, an education strategy around anti-racism, and that needs to be fully funded. And we've pushed for that for a while, and we're really pleased that the government has said that they're going to make that an element of um, what they do in this parliament, and they'll have our backing on it. Um, but it's got to be real and it's got to be fully funded so that we actually start to stamp out racism. Adam Ban, thanks for your time today for SBS Radio. Thanks for having me. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Right here on NITV Radio. Thanks for your company on this Monday afternoon. It's the 20th day of June 2022 and I'm Kerry Lee Harding, your host for this afternoon. Now to our final story on the show for you today and more from the FECA conference uh, which was on last week in Melbourne. And I also managed to catch up and have a yarn with one of the youth from the Uluru Statement from the Heart. My yarn with Nataka Alberts coming up in just a moment. TV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. So my name's Nataka Alberts, I'm a proud Gungaloon Imam woman from Mackay, Queensland and I currently live um, in Brisbane on Mianjin country. And tell us what, what are you doing here today? Yeah, so I'm gathered here um, with the other members of the Uluru Statement from the Heart Youth Group um, and we're here today to, yeah, basically um, engage with all of the attendees from all over um, the FECA kind of councils and all the organisations and we're here to raise awareness about the Uluru Statement and share the importance of, you know, the Indigenous voice to Parliament and the next steps for the referendum and why, you know, we're calling for this. Why do you think it's so important for young people to get behind the Uluru Statement from the heart, sis? Um, for me, I think, you know, personally, I feel, you know, I'm, I'm only 26 years old. I have seen, you know, a lot of changes within the Indigenous space, but I haven't seen enough. You know, I'm sick of the empty words. I'm sick of the empty promises. And for me, the Uluru Statement is a roadmap for the future. It's, <clears throat> you know, it's a document that's set in stone that talks about all the different areas that we really need to be focusing on. It's not just, you know, employment, it's health, it's employment, it's the justice system, it's all areas that we really need to make change. And I truly believe that once the Uluru Statement is enacted, we can create that change when we've got that voice in Parliament. So, yeah, for me personally, it's deeper than, you know, just being here at the conference. It's future generations. It's creating change for, you know, my great-grandchildren. So, yeah. Thanks for your time today. Thanks so much, sis. <laughs> Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.